0: This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, thanks for tuning in. We are back in First Peter, continuing our series there, and we'll begin in verse eight in just a moment. But I, I briefly want to recap what we've covered up to this point, and again, recapture the big idea of First Peter, which is to shore up a, a Christian's faith as they pilgrim through this world sojourn through this world in anticipation of of heaven uh, they endure many trials and Peter writing later in his life as an elder of the church uh, knowing that his time is near to to depart and be with Christ as he says in second Peter uh, he's writing these letters for that for that very purpose to in- encourage these brethren uh, who and may have had some questions about the persecution they were enduring and what that meant or what that might imply about uh, their their faith or their standing their standing with God and so peter is he's reaffirming them he's he wants to reaffirm us and our identity as Christians as those who are beloved by Christ who are his special people that's a big point of emphasis, especially in in chapter two where he Continues to draw upon Old Testament language as he did in chapter one, calling us sojourners and exiles, you know, in a foreign land. There in chapter two, he refers to us, refers to Christians as a royal priesthood or the people of God, a chosen race, and, you know, all these other expressions, again, to remind us that just because we suffer here and now, doesn't mean that we've been forsaken or that we're doing something something wrong. Rather, Peter wants us to know that this was the plan all along. And so he says in chapter 2 and verse 21, "...you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth." And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Uh, So that... Thought comes in the middle of a discussion where Peter is describing various human relationships where Christians have an opportunity to bear up under suffering, to follow the example of Christ, and ultimately influence those around us to come to follow Jesus. And remember, we discussed the Christian's relationship to the government and uh, the master-slave relationship or employer-employee relationship as we try to imply those apply those principles there. And then lastly, uh, the relationship between husbands and and wives, where Peter addresses wives, Christians who may be married to an unbelieving husband and how they can ultimately affect him for the good just by bearing up and continuing to be uh, reverent and chaste and and submitting to uh, their husbands. And then he also takes the time to address believing husbands and how they should treat their their wives. And in every area, the the goal is submission to Christ, ultimately, to to bring him glory and to follow his example. And as Peter moves through these various points, uh, he he really emphasizes, especially at the beginning of chapter 2, end of chapter 1, he really emphasizes the Christian's relationship to the word of christ and reminds us that we have been born again through our obedience to the truth in fact what he says is that we have purified our souls and our obedience to the truth uh, in chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 but he uses the same phrase of being born again as he does at the beginning of chapter 1 where he says we're born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he's not saying we're born again in two different ways, but rather he's reminding us how that came about, how this new birth came about, this new privileged status as God's people, as a royal priesthood. Well, it was the result of your response to Jesus, his teaching and obeying that teaching. And now we need to continue to do that, right? And that's how he begins chapter 2 in the midst of this instruction, longing for the pure milk of the word, so that we can retain our identity in Christ. And what that means practically is, of course, following that teaching and example, regardless of what human relationship we're talking about, what that looks like is bearing up under unjust treatment, bearing up under under suffering. Uh, so having said all that, that's kind of that takes us up to more or less where where we are today and what we've covered. And so let's begin in verse 8 now of 1 Peter 3. So he says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious and sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. Uh, for the one who desires life to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, So let's pause right there for just a moment because Peter is again giving us this practical instruction, exhorting us to obey, just as he's done all along. and he is connecting that explicitly with, with our own relationship to God. So again, contrary to what you're going to hear, that at least in most of the religious world, that um, that God's plan of salvation and your fellowship to Christ is not contingent upon any human response from you. Peter is saying the exact opposite. All of Scripture is saying precisely the the opposite. And this is either the second or third time. I think it's the second time that Peter has addressed prayer. One other time, remember, was when he was addressing husbands and wives uh, and their proper treatment of one another. So their prayers would not be hindered, uh, 1 Peter 3. So he's doing the same thing again here, now just generally addressing all Christians. And he's saying, remember who it is that that God hears and to substantiate what he's saying. He's actually quoting from, from Psalm 34. Uh, And it shows, you know, that shows this beautiful consistency, I think in the character of God and in scripture, you know, across 1500 years of different human writers. And so in the face of persecution in the face of disappointment and hardship, uh, Peter says, you can love life and see good days. He says, "Here's the man who, who does that." Verse eleven: turning the one who turns away from evil, and does good. Uh, and so that's a critical point to understand from the outset. When, when Peter is speaking to Christians who, want to have, the good life, he doesn't express that in terms of, you know, these good days. He doesn't express that in terms of prosperity in this life. Right now, sometimes that may happen, We're, and we are blessed as sojourners and pilgrims, but we recognize because we're sojourners and pilgrims, even if we're blessed in this life, like Abraham was, his hope rested elsewhere, right? He was seeking a city whose maker and builder is, is God. And so, and, and furthermore, you know, if comfort in this life and uh, in, in prosperity in this life was an indication of God's approval, uh, then we would have to conclude that, you know, the ungodly and the sinful, and, you know, the wealthy and the, and the famous and, you know, all the people taking extravagant vacations and so on and so forth. Or even those who persecute God's people are actually approved by him. You know, if that was the standard, if just, you know, living a good life here and being prosperous here indicated my standing with God, well then that would throw off, you know, that's, that's not the right metric. Uh, so it's, would, it's helpful to us to read, I think, the entire Psalm of Psalm thirty-four, and it's only twenty verses. And for the sake of time, we're not going to do that now. But I, I encourage you to go back and read that. I want to just highlight a few um, verses to get the general tenor of that Psalm and see how it how it plays into the point that Peter is making here. So, for example, Psalm thirty-four. Even though David is speaking of, again, seeing uh, seeing good days and loving life, notice in, in verse 4, he sa- he speaks of uh, fears. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, the poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Uh, verse 17, uh, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears them. And delivers them out of their, their troubles. Uh, verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them, uh delivers him out of them all. And then finally, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So you go you go through that, and you okay, you hear Peter and David both speaking about good days for the, the follower of Christ, for the for the believer. But the good day is not one in which we are sheltered and and pampered and, you know, again, have this physical kind of prosperity. We don't have any troubles to worry worry about. Um, But rather, the good day for the believer is one in which he finds God's strength and that he's comforted in God and in the promise of God in the midst of Life's problems and, and troubles, right? So you, David speaks freely about fears and afflictions and being brokenhearted, but those who draw near to God will find deliverance out of all those things. in In this life, the strength to endure them, and certainly in the next, final and 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 a full release from all of those things. So the good. This is the good day, for. The believer, if you would love life and see good days, this is who we should be. And notice also the good day is one in which we magnify the Lord. Verses one through three. That's what David is doing uh, here. Bless the Lord at all times, and His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let Him be humble. Uh, Let the humble hear and be glad. I magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Right, and so even in, again these troublesome, fearsome times, he is remembering the goodness of God. Verse eight: Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is finding peace in the nearness of God. Remember, God is near the the crushed in spirit, and so Peter is was inspired to quote this psalm, I think, because of you know Christians who are in. These situations, and he's reminding us and encouraging us to remember who it is that truly stands approved before God. Not to be distracted by the externals of, of the world and, and the harsh treatment of you know human governments or human masters or even in our most intimate relationships, but rather remember you find blessing in the most important relationship in your life, and that is one with your heavenly father through jesus christ all right the eyes of the lord uh verse 12 the eyes of the lord are on the righteous his ears are open to their prayers but the face of the lord is against those who do evil and you know someone might say well, what if okay what if our enemies are taking advantage of us you know what if what if we are seeking peace as peter says we're we're to be doing, but they are seeking war all the time. It's just like this constant fight. Well, generally speaking, people do not oppose those who try to do good. Verse 13 is Peter lays down that that principle. But even if they do, he's already addressed that as as well. He says even the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they're going to be put to shame ultimately here and now and certainly in the day, day of Christ, if not here and now. And so it's better to suffer for righteousness sake than to compromise the will of the will of God in your life and peter again he'll he'll quote the Old Testament this time, Isaiah chapter chapter eight, uh Isaiah eight and verse thirteen. So let's continue reading in in first Peter three verse thirteen uh who is there to harm you uh who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Uh, For it is better... If God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. And and notice in that quote that he took from Isaiah is he's he understands why we might compromise. Right. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and be ready to make a stand. Right. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope, the hope that is in you because of him. And, and the, the quote from Isaiah is significant because of the original context. So, like we did with Psalm 34, think back for a moment to Isaiah chapter 8. And the history there is the king of Judah is in crisis mode because Israel and Syria are threatening to invade him, right? They've, they have invited him to join their alliance but it's it's evil and it's been condemned and now ahaz in his in his fear because he's rejected that alliance and they're threatening to invade him the the king of judah ahaz wants to form this other ungodly alliance with assyria and isaiah comes to him and is warning him do not be do not be afraid right don't fear their intimidation but notice verse 13 which peter borrows from in, in in 1 Peter 3, 15, Isaiah tells Ahaz, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. So don't give in, in other words. See how Peter's, he's he's taking that lesson from history out. So he doesn't specifically go through that example of Ahaz, but that's what he's he's talking about. It's the same situation, right? You have all this pressure around you. Don't Don't buckle, even if you're being assaulted from all sides and and make these ungodly alliances and compromise the will of God. Um, Joining the enemy is not the answer. Fearing the enemy is not the answer. Rather, sanctify the Lord in your heart, 1 Peter 3.15. Regard him. Make him holy in your heart. Set him apart, in other words. It means turn everything over to him. Be devoted to him. Live only to please Him and to glorify Him. And, and forget about upsetting people when you do this. Just be ready to give an answer because you're you're going to be displeasing to people. When you set out to, to accomplish the will of Christ and you devote yourself to Him, it's going to bring you into conflict with so many people. Um, but when Jesus is the Lord of your life, there's no better place for you to be, and you have everything to look forward to, even in times of crisis, because each crisis then becomes an opportunity for you to teach others. And that's one of the you know one of the main takeaways, I think, from First Peter. Uh, but notice, you know we we're, we're thinking in, and the Bible uses militant language freely. Right and talks about you know standing standing firm and being soldiers of Christ and uh, you know being at war with our our own selves our own flesh and of course with our enemy, but at the same time, you know we don't want to let worldly concepts of warfare invade our our thoughts because look at what Peter says he says do this make this defense uh with gentleness and reverence, verse fifteen of First Peter three. Uh so the the teaching and the example that you are, you know, you do this with meekness and fear, your Bible might say. So it's not that we're just kind of pridefully beating our chest and, you know, we're we're arrogantly going about this and and trying to be know it alls no, Peter says, right, we have to answer Worldliness, we have to answer and stand against religious error, but but do that in a way that, again, honors God and shows the Spirit of Christ uh, in, in your life. And notice he says, this is how we, we're going to keep a good conscience. Verse 16, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing which you're slander, those who revile your good behavior, will be put to shame in the day of Christ. So as we live for Jesus, and we do that in the way that Scripture's, calling us to do even as we are brought into conflict with others if we do it according to his will we we strip away any ground that they may have for accusation against us right as and so Peter's point is as watchful as they might be they're not going to find or at least they shouldn't find a legitimate reason to accuse you of being of being corrupt or you know trying to serve selfish ends or something like this uh, you know the the enemies of Christ sought to do the same thing to him on many occasions, right? They they accused him of being a blasphemer. They accused him of being demon possessed, and all sorts of things, right? Trying to stir up dissension against Caesar, uh, but none of these held any water, of course. And people, and honest people knew that, right? Even remember Pilate recognizes uh, none of this makes any sense. What they're saying, and it says the gospel writers knew it was for jealousy that they had turned him over and so they he tries to uh you know he makes meager efforts to to free him but ultimately pilate plays the coward and and is so afraid of the people that he hands Jesus over to be crucified but the point is he still knew in his heart their their motivations that he that he knew Jesus was innocent and so it is uh with his with his people when we follow his example we bear up under suffering uh, honest observers who who see this will know oh this this isn't right they're going to be put to shame and and that ultimately can lead even to their their submission to Christ which we saw earlier uh, in in 1 Peter 2 and so Peter you know remember who who's writing this he had witnessed the outcome of those who tested Jesus, you know, who tried to trap him time and time again, who, who brought those accusations and he had seen their failure. He had seen their embarrassment and he had seen their, their shame. And so it should come as no surprise then that, you know, he, that he tells us in verse 16, just strive to keep a good conscience, right? Don't, don't try to shape your behavior to be people pleasing, but, um, have good behavior. He notice. He says, "In Christ," and that's how others will be will be shamed. Paul will say something similar in Philippians one twenty seven. He says, "Strive together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God." And so, rather than you know ha- having enemies and having um, and being persecuted and and being slandered, rather than that being a reason to be discouraged, the Holy Spirit is flipping that on its head and says, rather, you should be encouraged by this. First of all, it's an indication that you're a true soldier for Christ, suffering for Him. And that's a sign of salvation for you, Philippians 1, 28. And also, be reminded that a reckoning is coming. Right? So, so continue to serve and glorify And knowing that revilers will be put to shame. Okay, let's see how Peter ends uh, this, this thought. Picking up in verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, During the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Okay, so Peter gives further proof of of our hope. And he's reminding us of again the ultimate example of Jesus who suffered in the same way and yet was raised from the dead and entered into glory. Right. So in suffering for righteousness' sake, we are imitating him, and we can anticipate the same thing because he's promised it. Um, and notice the way that he words it, verse 18, is that Jesus suffered the just for the unjust. He suffered in the flesh but attain the resurrection never to die again. And his suffering purchased the blood, the spiritual blessings that we have Christians have in, in Christ. And so he's challenging us to recognize this and to, to remember this and, and how that should shape our perspective, have a different perspective on the flesh and the spirit, right? Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but this worst persecution, right? The, the worst thing that you could, that could happen to you in, in this life, being persecuted to death, giving his life, ultimately that didn't that didn't rob him of being made alive in the spirit. That didn't rob him ultimately of his life, because Christ's spirit, like our own spirit, is eternal and continues living in, in heaven. To reinforce that point, Peter harkens back to a time when the spirit of Christ inspired. Noah to preach to others uh, as he goes on to say here that he was made alive in the spirit verse 19 he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison uh, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark so think back to Genesis chapter six seven and eight for a moment and God of course reveals to Noah that he's going to destroy the world with water and it says that man's days will be 120 years. And so during that time, Noah is, of course, constructing the ark. But we also learn from Scripture that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Uh, Peter will make that point later in Second Peter. And like all inspired prophets of old, um, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Again, that's another point that Peter raises in 2 Peter. Uh, but here we're we're to understand how the verbal event inspiration of uh, Scripture works, and how God moved men in days of old, and that it was in fact the Spirit of Christ, as Peter mentions earlier, uh, that was moving individuals to prophesy and reveal God's will, uh, either you know of a predictive nature. Not all prophecy is predictive, uh, like Peter mentioned earlier in chapter one and verse ten when the Spirit of Christ was moving those individuals to tell things about the future. Uh, But it, it more often than not, just refers to the the teaching that God is giving through these individuals. And that's what Noah was doing, uh, certainly as he warned about the flood to come. But what men needed to do uh, in order to prepare. Uh, But as we know, no one listened. Uh, And so Peter mentions that point as well, that eight people, just eight out of an entire world, were brought safely through water. And he says, corresponding to that, baptism now now saves you. So in the way that Christ was made alive in in the spirit, right, his body was killed, his flesh was destroyed, but ultimately God raised him from, from the dead, and, of course, he ascended into heaven. We can anticipate that same kind of salvation, deliverance, ultimately. Uh, but Peter's reminding us again in this chapter that that includes, in order to receive that salvation, you must respond. You have something to do. And, of course, he's mentioned obedience, generally speaking, to the Word of God previously. And now he's he's focusing on us uh, specific act of obedience and baptism uh, because of the context right uh, and comparing our salvation to the salvation of of Noah he makes this point about baptism that as eight people were brought safely through water then uh, so baptism God uses water now to save his people and he says it's not it's not something for the flesh verse twenty one right so notice the comparison between verse 18 and verse 21, right? That he was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. So, likewise, baptism has nothing to do with your fleshly body. You're not taking a bath, you're not removing dirt, but rather this has spiritual significance. This is how God is going to save you as you appeal to him for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is, this act has a meaning because God gave his son and raised him from the dead. And so now we can have hope. And, and baptism in the name of Christ means something now, means something incredible, the salvation of of your soul. And Peter would not have us take this fact for granted. Uh, so in keeping with, again, the big picture, yes, you may suffer many things here and now to the point that your physical body is destroyed. Well, just remember uh, that happened with Jesus, right? His body was broken and torn and his flesh was ripped from his back and he was beaten and spit upon and thorns pressed into his scalp and nailed to a cross and a spear driven into his side and into into his heart. Nevertheless, that was death did not have the final word for him. Uh, And God raised him from the dead. And in the New Testament, Father, Son, and Spirit are all set to, um, are are all given the credit, I guess you could say, for uh, raising Jesus from from the dead. But the point is, God still has that same power. Christ has the keys of death and Hades. He says to John, in Revelation one. So our focus must be on spiritual things, the things of God, maintaining steadfastness, right, anticipating the redemption of of our bodies, no matter what happens. Here we know he's going to be true to his word, to uh, give us that inher- that inheritance, our heavenly home with him. But it's contingent upon our faithfulness to him, being being sincere uh, followers of Christ, and being faithful unto death. Well, this is uh, chapter three again. Unfortunately, the the break here happens uh, at a bad time, and really this. Peter has more to say on this point into chapter 4. But we're out of time today, and so we'll pick up here, Lord willing, ne- next week. Please continue to pray over these things and study them. And if you'd like to hear more podcasts, you can find them at leonvalleychurch.org. Uh, you can also contact me with an idea for a topic or study request that you have at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and thanks again for tuning in.